0: We have gotten into the practice of one text uh, per Sunday. This week's text was so connected to the Old Testament text, I wanted you to hear them both. And so we hear that connection to manna in the wilderness, this bread of life, uh, something God had been up to for a long time with God's people. And in the Gospel of John, we hear from John chapter 6. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat, Then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread, always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Word of God. Word of life. Thanks be to God. Some of you might remember a movie from 25 years ago called Life is Beautiful. It's set in 1939, Italy. It's actually, the whole movie is in Italian, so it's a good way to practice your Italian. But just think of Italy. Sunny, gorgeous, the lead character in this movie, Guido, played by Roberto Benigni, is funny. He's clever. He's hardworking. It's fun. He's fun. We follow him and his wife falling in love. If you've seen it, you might remember that he playfully says to her often, Buongiorno Principessa. And he always calls her his princess. And they get married and they have an adorable little boy. Before they're Jewish, they're taken away to a concentration camp. And he and his wife are, of course, separated, they're put in prison clothes, they're made to work every waking hour. Obviously, it's hell on earth. You can imagine what that would look like in the film, what it would feel like to be watching the film. And one day as Guido is pushing a wheelbarrow in this camp, in it he's hiding his son because he's told his son that they're playing a giant game of hide-and-seek from the big scary soldiers. Well, as he wheels his hidden son by an office, it's obviously the spot where at this camp they speak into a sound system that spreads all over the camp, and Guido looks around and there's nobody there, and so he gets his son to pop out of the wheelbarrow, and they take advantage of the moment. It is at that point that we see his wife, Dora, in some other part of the camp. She and many other imprisoned women are sorting through a huge pile of clothes, all their faces look gaunt, and beyond sad, they look empty. Because they are. And into that moment, we watch her hear her husband through the camp's speakers. Buongiorno, principessa. Last night, all I dreamed about was you. We were going to the movies, and you were wearing that pink suit you really like. You're all I think about, my princess. And then their little boy yells, Mama! And you see her face fill again with life. As she hears those voices, she can't help but smile. And for a moment, her spirit has escaped that concentration camp. For a moment, she's free. In love, a mother, a human, despite the complete inhumanity she finds herself living in. We see her experience life beyond life. That's what our text for today is about. Life, capital L, beyond life, little l. We all live little l lives that include aching bones and worries and mistakes and partisan politics and a pandemic threatening to roar back and struggle for money and struggle to maintain relationships, our little L lives are full of successes and failures and joys and sorrows and sins and faithfulness. At times, our little L lives entrance us with Greed and lust and envy and stuff that pulls us away from God and then spirals us into ourselves. And it's almost like we live in a self-imposed concentration camp, concentrating only on ourselves, our grievances, our mistakes, things we don't have, who we didn't become. And God knows this about us. Just like Guido knew his wife's spirit would be transformed by his words of affection and memories and the love of her son. And so he shouted into that microphone with, at great risk, Buongiorno, principessa." God does the same for us, proclaiming into our lives, I am and I will be. There is life, capital L, life beyond life. In today's text, he says, I am the bread of life, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Last week, I said that the word if pertains to like every part of our lives except our relationship with God, the I am. We know as Jesus, who through whatever storm you know right now or any storm you ever will know, is and will be. Thanks be to God. Amen. The good news last week was God not only shows up, God remains, always. But a legitimate question has to be asked with that statement of belief in mind. So what? Like, what difference does it make that the I am, that God remains through every storm? Is that always a good thing? Is it always or sometimes a helpful thing? Does it depend? How does it affect us that there is no if with God? This constant presence, what does it matter? It's a pretty important question, right? So to get at how the Gospel of John would answer the so what question, we need to, I think, follow the experience of the crowds in the sixth chapter. First, they followed Jesus toward his favorite prayer place at the mountain. That's where Jesus feeds them. But he doesn't just feed them To help them avoid starvation, he feeds them to give them a sign, another sign. And the point of that sign is to help them see beyond that moment's hunger. Jesus is trying to offer something beyond their imaginations, beyond their expectations, beyond that moment's miracle. Okay, so we're following the crowd who's just had this sign offered to them. 5,000 people, John says. And John goes on to say, when the people saw the sign Jesus had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Okay, all right. Maybe they're starting to understand what God is up to. But then we hear this next verse, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him their king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They're like an excited mob who think they can own him. They're like, God made you the prophet Israel's been waiting for, so get yourself over here so we can make you king. Because if you're king, our bellies can always be full. Our nation can shake the oppression of Rome, and we can have power and wealth and security that's eluded us for centuries. So come here, you are our ticket into a more privileged world. Get yourself over here. We want to use you. So you can't blame Jesus for withdrawing to the mountain by himself. The next day, which is after Jesus and the disciples went home by boat, Jesus walked actually on the water. Anyway, the crowd is looking for him because they're not sure where he went. And they figure out that the disciples and he must have gone out to sea. So some of the crowd gets into boats of their own and they go to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they find him on the other side of the sea, they still don't see Jesus as the presence of God which is what Jesus has offered and shown, they're still thinking, this is the guy who can feed us, give us political power and health or whatever. The signs Jesus does are meant to show that God is present in Jesus. A relationship with God is on the table, not health, wealth, and happiness. Jesus says, you are looking for me, but not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures, for eternal life. That is life, capital L, beyond life, little l. That's what I mean, is this sense of eternal life. I don't get what eternal means. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Maybe all of us are stuck in that place where it's like eternal, timeless. We're bound to time. That's why I'm thinking about this life beyond life and this eternal life. It's in Jesus that we start to taste that, that we get a sense of what that means. With Nicodemus, a few chapters ago, Jesus is trying to explain that we humans born into a broken world, broken ourselves, he tries to say we can be reborn in him. Another confusing idea. Jesus was trying to say that he offers a birth beyond birth, a new birth. Nicodemus was confused. With the woman at the well, she was thirsty. So Jesus spoke about how in him, he offers a kind of water that quenches not just bodily thirst, but spiritual thirst. And again, I, when I read that story, I'm like, what exactly is that? Jesus was trying to say he offers water beyond water. As he fed the 5,000, he was trying to show that he offers bread beyond bread. New birth, living water, bread that feeds the soul. Each of these signs is pointing to the good news, that belief, full trust in Jesus leads to life beyond life. See beyond the miracle that simply fills your belly. That simply quenches your thirst. So, in the 33rd verse of John chapter 6, Jesus says, For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the crowds, they still don't get it, they say, Sir, give us this bread always. And he says, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Not literally, of course. (laughs) Spiritually speaking. What difference does it make that God shows up, that God remains? The crowds are thinking, well, the difference that that can make is that Jesus can be our totem, our good luck charm, our divine genie who will provide for us whatever we want, but Jesus makes it clear the difference His presence in this world makes is a much bigger difference than any of that. It's the same spot we get confused, too, because often we don't even notice or feel a spiritual hunger. We try to figure out with our heads what that might mean. You now, give me a grumbly belly, I know how to make that feel better. When my mouth gets dry… I get a drink of water, but a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst, is that even a thing? Because I thought you were supposed to come to church to keep God on your good side, as though Jesus is like a good luck charm. It's like God came to earth to make sure everything works out for us. Many of us oftentimes think Jesus is the one we go to when our basketball team is down two games to none, and we want to win in six. God does not become present in our world to award those who believe in Him with more privilege or more power or more comfort. Jesus is not on our side as though there's more than one side in humanity. According to the Gospel of John anyway, the Word of God becomes flesh in Jesus the Christ so that the world's spiritual problems, so that our spiritual problems can be solved. Jesus is simply the cure to creation's spiritual pandemic, and yet we're not always convinced we're even sick. We're kind of like those crowds who are so focused on their bellies and who owns political power and social privilege, we get ourselves so tied up with temporary worldly stuff that we oftentimes forget or don't even believe in the sickness of the soul. Many of us question or downright don't believe in the very idea of life beyond life, eternity, and certainly can't wrap our minds around spirituality. Instead, religion, to many, is only about helping ourselves become the best version of ourselves. And of course, God is interested in each of us living into our individual gifts with as much energy and passion as possible, for sure. But that comes way after today's foundational message, If we're ever going to get to a place where we live out the best version of ourselves, we first have to see beyond the miracle Jesus does. We have to see who Jesus is, hear the good news that breaks into our broken, sin-filled world that can, and we don't even feel it happening sometimes, we just find ourselves empty or lost or lifeless. And then because we're listening and because God knows how to speak into the microphones that can get to us, we hear it. Buongiorno, child of God. I claimed you. I love you. I died for you. So that all of you would have life beyond life. And reminded once again on this Sabbath day through my words and through Holy Communion, I invite you to allow your emptiness to go away. Let your spirit escape any imprisonment that this world tries to impose. Be free to love, to be a child or a parent or a spouse or a friend, despite the chaos or brokenness that you hear about or that you already know. Experience life beyond life. Amen.